Welcome back to Indonesia Done Line Line, the podcast about everything you need to know about Indonesia. I'm your host, Erin Cook. I curate the newsletter Dari Mulut Ke Mulut, and I'm here today with Lisa. Hi, I'm Lisa. I'm the producer of the show. I'm sitting in for Haya today, who couldn't make it. He's trapped in the matcha apocalypse yeah, out there. Yeah, crazy matcha today. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully, our very, very special guest made it through the through the traffic jam. Ooh, two hours <laughs> to get to our studio. I feel so bad. <laughs> two hours. This, we're here today with uh, Andreas Hasanu, Woo-hoo. the Indonesia researcher at Human Rights Watch. Apa kabar? <laughs> Welcome to the studio. Thanks for being here, Pak Andreas, uh, to talk about everything. <laughs> yeah, you're the perfect person to yes. give us an insight into what we should be talking about from the last few weeks. Well, of course, the biggest news is the Jakarta riot. Yeah, absolutely. It took place for three days last week mm. uh, in Jakarta, but also there are some violence in mm. Pontianak, West Kalimantan, and Sampang on Madura Island. And a smaller rally in Medan, not so Yeah, far. there's nothing quite as uh, big or violent as we saw here in Jakarta, but should we be worried that it was a uh, not quite archipelago-wide uh, phenomena, but it did happen elsewhere? Is that a sign of something bigger than just a flare-up of violence here in the capital? I, to be compared with 1998, this mm. one is much, much smaller. Yeah. Uh, we are disputing the size of the crowd uh, today. Some said it was 6,000, some said it was 10,000, yep. some said it must be bigger than 10,000 uh, in Jakarta. And in Jakarta, the Jakarta riot were isolated in, one is in front of the uh, Sarina department store and also yes, the election office. And then the other one is in Tanabang near the police dormitory mm-hmm. that was attacked and some cars were burned down. And then near the Islamic Defenders Front Uh, office in Petamburan. So yes. basically only three three areas. Yeah, three quite hot spots as well. The FBI and the police seem like they'd be an easy target. Yeah, they are pretty close. Yeah. yeah they are pretty close. Yeah, so do you agree? Lisa was uh, there reporting for most of the time. We, it seems really hard to get a, a gauge of, of numbers. Yeah. I and, mean, and the difference between uh, protest, genuine protesters and riders as well. Yeah. I was standing all the, all the time. I was standing behind the brimop, so I couldn't yeah. see clearly uh, on the other side, like what yeah. it looks like, because it was like, uh, yeah, I had like another guy standing at the back of the protester. So, but yeah, it's kind of difficult to tell how much, like, how many people were there, and then like as it grew like dark, like it's mm. uh, uh, night at night. Uh, it's like yeah, more and more people coming, and then you couldn't really yeah, yeah. Really tell. So the night's kind yeah. of where it all gets yeah. really dark like, and scary. Right, right after the um, uh, prayer, after the prayer, yeah. and then they were saying goodbye, and then suddenly yes, that's where it kicks broke. off. Yeah. <laughs> so on that first night, I think uh, we're starting to get a better idea of what actually happened, and this is the the night which uh, there the eight deaths. Yeah. Um, on the 21st? On the 21st, yeah. yeah. And Al Jazeera had a brilliant report yeah. in the last couple of days about, I didn't realize this, the youngest... Great video. Great, <laughs> great video. Yeah. Uh, the youngest death, though, he was only 15. 15, yeah. Yes. And so what do we know about him and what he was doing, Andreas? Uh, Al Jazeera interviewed his parents. Yeah. Uh, he is only 15 years old. So a high school student at high this age. High school student. Yeah. 
junior high school student. High school. He did not know. The parents did not know. Father, mother, how he died, mm. and where he died. They only found his dead body oh, in the hospital. Yeah, that's what that's what they found out. So, what do we know about how we do we know anything yet? How did he die? Or we do not know. We, we still uh, don't know. The, the parents did not know. According so they haven't been told anything. It's not a matter of just the media hasn't been informed yet. Yeah, it's yeah. The police said there are eight dead bodies found in the in Jakarta, and one because of leaf ammunition, right? And and, and seven from rubber bullet. That's what the police said. And of course, we need to to verify what the police had said. Of course, but let's say the police is is right, is accurate. We still need to find more how they die, yeah. and there should be a forensic investigation uh, where the rubber bullet uh, penetrate the bodies. Uh, rubber bullet are not supposed to be lethal, of course. Yes, yeah. But if you are hit from a short distance with a rubber bullet on your neck, it can be fatal. Right. Yeah. So it's not so much the the barricade sort of thing that we saw yeah. at Boasalu. It's much more uh, confrontational. Yes. Yes. Mm. Uh, so. If it is shot from, you know that that police rifle, they mm. can shot up to six hundred meters long. Yeah. But if it is shot from, let's say, thirty meters away, yeah. it is very fast. It can be fatal yeah. if it is shot from a distance. But if you are shot, let's say, from five hundred meters away with a rubber bullet, it will, you know, some bluish on your body, yeah, but it is, hurt, it is okay. It hurt, but it is okay. Yeah. It is not going to be fatal. Have the police been forthcoming? Yeah. <clears throat> Should we, do we trust the police, I guess, to t for their side of the story? Uh, the police chief, uh, General Tito Karnavian, is yeah. quite uh, straightforward. Mm -hmm. He admitted that there are some uh, police officers who use excessive forces, yeah. mm -hmm. and there will be questions, they will be investigated. Although those that are on video, a boy being uh, kicked by mm. the police, uh, and that's he, a, did, he did not die, despite the rumors that so he, he died. Because yeah. that's one of the most uh, scary yeah. things I think I've ever seen. So it's yeah. one young guy, and it's about half a dozen police, yeah. right? They're just At Kampung Bali, right? Yeah. 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 I think the guy finally went on record on video saying that it was him and he was not underage kid. Oh and wow! So like, was yep. me. I did that because you know they arrested me and then yep. yeah. But still, it doesn't make it okay for the Just police. Well, if you know, if someone, even a suicide bomber who had been pacified, mm -hmm. a police officer cannot hit him or her. There's no. So need that for is that the that yep. is the standard procedure. A mm. police, uh, someone who has been subdued, mm. you cannot touch him. Mm. So, but Andreas, what's the what's the uh, human rights watch stand on this whole event? Of the May of the of the riot of May twenty second. I have discussed this yeah. with my friends both mm -hmm. in New York and Sydney. Yeah. And in general we thought that it was quite restrained. Both mm -hmm. the police and the military are quite restrained. I have mm -hmm. to mention both the police and the military because the military was also there yeah. as a backup power. Uh, again, it was a violent situation. There were rocks, uh youth throwing rocks. Mm -hmm. There were Molotov cocktails, and there were cars being burned down, motorcycle being burned down, police dormitory was about to be burned down, and the government office, election office, was about to be uh, attacked, yeah. uh, invaded. 
So the use of force in that kind of situation is totally justified. Yep. It is not breaking international law on on crowd control. The the phrase is crowd control, and the police repeatedly said there is no uh, leave ammunition among the police officers. It was a good sign that they are using crowd control method proper. Right, some more tear gas then. And tear gas, yep. of course. Uh, although, and this is interesting, there was one death because of leaf ammunition. Mm. That should be investigated. Mm. Human rights post position yep. is going to call on the Indonesian government to set up an independent investigation. Mm -hmm. uh, someone, some a team of people who have integrity, who have good characters, who can independently investigate yep. uh, on top or beside what the police or the government uh, are doing right ah, now. So in addition to, because it sounds like uh, uh, General Tito wants to have an investigation. Uh, do we have a timeline for? We do not know yet. No, we don't know just yeah. yet. This this in, this one that, that Human Rights Boss uh, is proposing is an independent one. Mm -hmm. We are not thinking about a short term or, or even even in the months ahead. But this is something that the Indonesian public could use as a learning material yep. in the future because Indonesia has so many, many ethnic and religious violence yep. since basically 1945, declaring independence. And many of those violence are not properly understood. Hmm. Uh, if there are some studies about those violence, whether it was 1946, 47, yep or 1965 or 1998, mostly coming from overseas, whether yeah. from scholars from Cornell University or from uh, the Netherlands, KITLV uh, in Leiden, they're also famous for their studies, or some Australian institution. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, they're not coming from from Indonesia, moreover from the Indonesian government. Yeah. Interesting. So you see uh, these last week's riots as being a part of this decades-long trend of political violence in the country. That, if, is, if that is my studies because yep. I, I study, I spent decades studying uh, either violence in state violence in mm. places like Aceh or East Timor mm. or Papua or 1965, 1965 yep. until 1966, but going on until 68, or the anti-Chinese state violence. Mm in Kalimantan, 1967 until 1968, or of course, 1998, or yes. anti-Maduris violence, or the sectarian violence in the Molucos Islands. So there are so much, so many, too many. How does, uh, how does this latest flare-up compare with some of these older ones? Because it seems less ethnically, less religious-based. Is it there was an element? Most... There, was, there was an element to inside anti-Chinese violence. Yeah. Uh, last week in Jakarta. So the patron is not running away from many other patrons that we have seen in Indonesia over the last 70 years. Yeah. Uh, so your new book's just come out uh, this month, Race, Islam and Power, which looks at ethnic and violent, ethnic and religious violence rather in post-Sahado Indonesia. Um, so what were the, the major flare-ups that you've looked at for this work? My argument is that Many, many politicians either using ethnic, ethnicity, mm -hmm. or Islam, or in some limited cases, Christianity, to mobilize 
power. So they are using ethnicity or Islam to grab power by mobilize, mobilizing public support, uh, triggering ethnic sentiment or religious sentiment, or some in some cases, both sentiment. That is very often come, uh, all over Indonesia. And has it has it worked for these uh, people in power, exploiting these divisions? Is that a, a route worked, to achieving? It works very well. It works very well. You can kill one or two men mm. with a lot of money and a lot of effort to avoid police detection, mm-hmm. uh, law enforcement detection. But if you want to kill a thousand, as long as you can mobilize support, ethnicity or religion, and of course the media support, yes, and the other uh, elite support, you can go away with that. Impunity. It's so upsetting for it me is. to hear. It's so dark, isn't it? <laughs> Impunity is widespread. Um, I want to argue against argument that some other groups in Indonesia, some groups in Indonesia are culturally violent, or some mm. people in Indonesia are systematically ignorant, that they can be easily manipulated by the elite. <clears throat> I want to argue that the problem is not they are ignorant. Of course, there are many people who are ignorant, yeah. but the problem is there are elite members who mobilize ethnicity and Islam to gain power, <clears throat> and they have impunity. The, so the key word in my book is impunity is rampant all over Indonesia. And this is what you see happening now, even today, right? I haven't. I have never seen that this kind of cycle of violence and cycle of impunity is being uprooted in Indonesia. Uh, as a comparison, we can see there are anti-corruption campaigns thriving in Indonesia with the establishment of the KPK, the Anti-Corruption Commission, and many, many big names being arrested, political parties, bosses, some general even, some ministers, they are being nabbed for corruption. So anti-corruption is a public cause that the public want any government to do that. But human rights violation, gross human rights abuses, I don't think there is an appetite in mm. Indonesia to to solve all of these gross yeah. human rights violations. Not only 1965, but many, many other mm. ethnic and religious violence. So I don't see any trend to uproot violence in Indonesia. Because I think Jokowi used a lot of human rights issues uh, at the beginning of his presidency, before he won the presidency. And obviously he failed. <laughs> yes, uh, do you, Jokowi do, failed. Do you, do you see that? changing in his second period? Should he be named the president? I hope he will change. I hope President Jokowi will change. But with all the people behind him. But, you know, this is uh, a pattern of of 70 years. Uh, In 1946, there were widespread violence against ethnic Chinese, against Indo-Eurasian, against uh, Christian Indonesian, basically, Minahasan or Batak or Ambonis, to the extent that in late 1945, Sultan Syahri wrote his famous pamphlet. It is called Perjuangan Kita, Our Struggle, that mm-hmm. basically says, we cannot do this. We cannot keep on doing this. And he called 
people who are involved in violence could anjing-anjing fascists, you know, mm. fascist dogs. Mm. Yeah. That was very strong, a very strong word yeah. from someone like Sultan Syahrir. But I'm afraid what Syahrir had written are not being listened to by many, many Indonesians. And in fact, another Indonesian thinker, uh, Rahman Tolling, he, he wrote that basically what Syahrir had written was a prologue to the emergence of the new order, which is mixing between military forces and fascism. And until now, Indonesia has not uprooted the legacy of the new order. When Rahman Toling was talking about new order fascism, he was talking about those young men trained by the Japanese using militarizing politics and becoming militant. Mm. And they become the leaders 40 years later, uh, 20 years later. It yeah. was 1960s. Do you feel, is there a movement uh, to get uh, these sorts of topics onto the national agenda? Is there a movement to reconcile some of the past abuses or is it just... There were effort. There were effort to, yeah. to do that. I think President Jokowi genuinely tried to do something. But again, he did not get much support from mm -hmm. his inner circle. Right. So is that one of the big problems here that Jokowi's arms are tied somewhat by oh, yes. these? Of course. Of course. Also, uh, President Abdurman Wahid, he tried yeah. to do some, some things. But again, uh, he did not succeed. Mm -hmm. In 21 months, he was fired. So it's going to take more than just a people's president to... Oh, yes. Yeah. Of course. Uh, this is far bigger than a presidential power. It is difficult. If... Okay, as an Indonesian, <laughs> I really want to see an end to this, but Andreas, like, what do you think should happen? Like, should we mobilize like a social movement or political movement or all what fronts, can we do? All fronts. We need to have uh, widespread public education about this kind of violence. Uh, also, education within the police and the military institution, mm. civil servant. Our national education has to be upgraded to include human rights, about, uh, to include tolerance, to include humanity, basically, uh, uh, rationality, to think rationally. And there are a lot of things to do before we can reach into that level to be a, a civilized nation. We are not civilized. No, we're not. <laughs> Yeah, if you can kill so many people yeah. and you have impunity, you know, some of the people who are involved in, accused to be involved in today's riot, they were also involved in 1998. Yes, this is a point you brought up last week, Lisa. It's, um, it's, I think there's a really quick move to um, knock back any suggestion that last week was in any way similar to riots in 98. Yeah. But... You made a really good case. If it's the same people responsible for the riot. Yeah. They're, how similar do you think it is to 98? We're not going to have a, you know, pulling down the government or anything, but in terms of the there same There are similarities faces, of using anti-foreigner, anti-Chinese, mm. anti-local ethnic Chinese sentiment, both in 1998 and 2019. It was also similar that they are trying to target to create economic damages. Yes. Mm. 
Mm, I think those are the similarities. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are also similarities that it involves uh, Islamist groups, Islamist militants get involved in the attack of of ethnic Chinese, but also many other people. Uh, in fact, those who died in 1998 were mostly non-Chinese yes. uh, poor people in in the burning of a Klender mall. But there are also differences uh, between today and 20 years ago. Today, uh, the state is is doing their job. Mm -hmm. Police and military are doing their job. 21 years ago, they did not do their job professionally. So today, actually, both the National Police of Indonesia and the Indonesian Armed Forces have to be proud because mm. they have moved forward much yes. better than their predecessor had done 21 years ago. Mm. That's actually a relief to hear because the most thing I'm afraid about is I don't want to romanticize what these security forces did uh, at at the riot because they did protect us, but then that's their job. I don't want to, you know, glorify, you know, what yeah. they did. But then hearing that from you, it's, I mean, it's obviously then they did a better job than... Oh, yes. Yeah. They do a better job here in Jakarta. Mm. But then there still needs to be investigated, like... Um, but to be fair yeah. with, with the opposition, mm. the opposition is also doing a big fight. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are fake, but some of them are real. Yeah. I think because they are pretty strong, they can they can threaten the government. Uh, that also control both the police and the armed forces. That yeah. they know that they are being closely watched by the opposition, and to some extent, oh, we have point. to. So it's made that kind of a. Oh yeah, we have to be, to give credit to the opposition. To the opposition, yeah. not all. The opposition figures are, you know, probable type, yeah. uh, irrational personality. You know? mm. Not all of these opposition figures are uh, probable like or valison like conspiracy theorists. Many mm. of them are real people mm. uh, who try to understand the fact, who are rational. Yeah. Uh, many of them, maybe they are politicking, but but we cannot generalize them as well. Yeah, That's a very good point. There's a big difference. Yeah. There's a gulf between Sandiaga and Prabowo responses, for instance. Yeah. 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 Um, so Sandiaga is politicking. <laughs> very politicking. <laughs> He's been politicking for a few more years, I think. Yeah. Rocky Karung is politicking. <laughs> Do you see uh, our, our relationship, by our, I mean like Indonesian people, and the relationship to violence could be changing anytime soon or... Could we finally like? I mean, in the question case of is like about the question is not about uh, changing soon or not. The, the, yeah. the question is when could we start investigating past human rights abuses? Uh, this is Definitely. not human rights violation per se. Yeah. This is about finding the truth. That's why human rights was called on the Indonesian government to set up an independent investigation team mm -hmm. because. Indonesians have the right to know the truth. Yeah. The truth, because what we are seeing now are only bits, bits of information. Some are accurate, some are not accurate. Uh, what we need is a team that can tailor all these bits of information 
and investigating mm -hmm. and having knowing the pattern of this violence. If we can learn from the May 2019 riot, which is very small, to be fair, only eight people killed. It's small. Uh, in Ambon, 20 years ago, 10,000 killed. In Ternate, 15,000 killed. Yep. In Kalimantan, at least 6,500 killed. And not to say Aceh, Papua, very complicated, or East Timor. So this is something relatively simple mm -hmm. to investigate. The victims are not that big. And you're confident that we'll get there? Uh, this is an opportunity because mm. Indonesia has so many political violence in the past 70 years. And we need to have one violence where we can study it. Mm. And this violence is, again, this is not that big. Uh, the smaller the victims are, the less political burdens to find the truth. But the bigger the violence, the bigger the number of perpetrators, meaning the bigger political actors involved in those violence, mm. the more difficult to investigate. Mm. And of course, the longer it is, the more difficult to find witnesses or, or perpetrators yeah, because many absolutely. of them have died or getting sick. Yep. So it should be done now. Like we need to have one case where we can find the truth. Mm. We need one single case. If what only... would you prioritize if you got to pick and you had your way? Which what would have the most impacts by being uh, reconciled? I, I'm not talking about reconciliation first. Yeah, uh, because reconciliation based on what? Mm. So reconciliation should be based on the truth. I often interview victims, mothers, wife, who whisper to me, "That man killed my wife." Mm. That man killed my husband. Or that man killed my father. And they are neighbors living in the yeah. same village. So reconciliation based on what? Uh, mm. Reconciliation should be based on the truth. And what we need to do is to learn the truth about many, many of our past political violence. All right, so that's our interview with Pa Andreas Harsono. Thank you so much for being here, Pa Andreas. I think uh, I think all we can take from the interview is we need to eventually find the truth because without the truth, we cannot reconcile. And then this is a good time to you know uh, to start to digging and to yeah to get moving and to investigate what happened. On We'll get there. We'll get there, Andreas. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Terima Thank you kasih. so much, Pak. Terima kasih. Bye-bye, semua. Tada. Indonesia Dan Line Line is a production of Gentle Media. Our producers are Lisa Siragar, Christabel Pilar, and Budi Dharmawan. Our editor is Satria Utomo. Tada! Sampai jumpa! Bye!